Tucked away in a quiet corner of Stokes County, North Carolina, known as Brook Cove, you'll find a small family cemetery. Buried here are more than just the remains of those who lived and farmed this community. There are secrets here too. Secrets of why a man named Charlie Lawson killed his wife, six of his kids, and himself, all on Christmas Day, 1929. It was a horror story. I mean, it, it was a national story. It made the front page of the New York Times, so it was more than just a local story. That Christmas day came frigid and snow covered. The day that it happened was one of the snowiest days across the United States in a long, long time. But the chill in the air would be no match for the cold-blooded events that were about to unfold. And whenever I went in there, there's lead, some of them was laying in, in the house that did. Blood running every way. And it was a very horrible scene. And now, this is their loved ones. I mean, imagine the shock and horror that they had. Some say Charlie Lawson, a poor tobacco farmer from Stokes County, North Carolina, had been planning what he was about to do. He apparently told them, the family, that there would be no Christmas presents because he had a, a surprise for them. Others say, for some reason, Charlie Lawson just snapped. He was complaining of headaches very bad. But what happened might have been more to do with a troubled heart. There was a questionable relationship between Charlie and one of the other family members, which was causing a true deterioration in the family. I'm Fox 8's Chad Tucker. And this is Deadly Secrets, The Lawson Family Murder. Walking up here, it's, uh, it's not hard to find the Lawson family. Their grave is the largest one here at Browder Cemetery. It's hard to, to look at the uh, names of all the children and the mother holding her baby and to know they all died on the same day. Everyone's always said, no one will ever know what caused Charlie Lawson to kill his family. Did Charlie Lawson take the answer to that question to his grave? Or is it his grave where we find a clue? There, etched in stone. Not now, but in the coming years, it will be in a better land. We'll read the meaning of our tears and sometime we'll understand. Hi, my name is Trudy J. Smith and I'm the author of two books on the Lawson murder story. Uh, the first one is White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, and the second one is The Meaning of Our Tears. My father was eight years old when the murders happened. I was always wondered what happened, what made him do it. And he began to hear that it was it was a father who had murdered all of his children and his wife on Christmas Day. It just really got his heart. He, as a small child, he just could not believe it. It was just so hard for him to understand it. It just really struck him. It just stuck with me, just like it did anybody, just about everybody else. And, uh, and I wanted to know the truth all my life since then. And so uh, for some eerie way, I finally it came around. And then all through the years he would talk about it, much like many people here in North Carolina talk about that murder. And then he came to me one day and said, 
let's go up to the cemetery yeah. and and uh, I want to have, pay respects at the cemetery and uh, I said sure you know we'll go the cemetery is now older with more mature trees limbs hanging over light rain we're under an umbrella looking at the mass grave and uh, tombstone and I read the, the tombstone and it said not now but in the coming years it'll be in a better land we'll read the meaning of our tears and someday we'll understand. And I remember saying to my father, wow, that's almost like a prophecy or something. That epitaph inspired Trudy Smith and her father, Bruce Jones, to start the research for a book about the Lawson murders. And when he retired, he had some friends up in that area. And one of the friends said, I know someone who actually was Charlie Lawson's best friend. He says, do you think he'll talk to me? And he said, yeah, I think so. So they went and, and talked to him. But during that conversation, he said to my father, I know what was going on in the family, but out of respect, I won't say anything. So that piqued his curiosity. That was interview with Hill Hampton's brother. Met Hill For Hampton's two and a half brother. years, Jones and his daughter worked to find the truth, breaking down the events of that day interviewing family members who were still alive at the time. People like Charlie's niece, Stella Lawson Bowles. She was almost 14 when the murders happened. And this was just unbelievable when this happened. I couldn't hardly take it in. Because after being there and seeing that this love that he showed toward his family and then this tragedy occurred. That Christmas morning started out pretty normal. Some of the family members had gone to play in the snow, and others, like Charlie's older son, Arthur, had been out rabbit hunting. You know, they had done some things in the morning for fun. They came back in. His nephew, Sanders Lawson, and his son, who had spent the night with him, and his son came to him and asked to borrow some more shells so they could go and um, back out rabbit hunting some more. And he says that he didn't have any uh, to go up to the store and get some. That got these two big boys, Sanders Lawson and, and um, his son, Arthur, out of the house. It's believed not long after they left, Charlie began his murderous rampage, killing his young daughters first. Carrie was 12, Maybell 7, then his wife, Fanny, who was 37, then his older daughter, Marie, 17 years old, then the little boys, James, who was 4, and Raymond, 2, and then his infant daughter, Mary Lou. She was just three months old. We had been old across the railroad track over there in the bottom to a rabbit hunt, me and my daddy and another one of my brothers. And, uh, and we come on up by Uncle Charlie's house, you know. And That's the voice of Charlie Lawson's nephew, Claude Lawson. In this recently discovered interview from 1991, Claude, who found the bodies, talks about that day. And whenever I went in there, 
There's lay, some of them was laying there in, in the house dead. Blood running every way. They came to say Merry Christmas and could see there was a massacre that happened. They were just floored. Killed them all in the house there, but uh, two girls, and he shot them right there at the barn and drug them in the barn and put rocks under their heads. Now, a man's bound to be crazy to do things like that, you know. <laughs> I don't believe I could do nothing like that with my family because you, uh, unless you was crazy or something bad wrong. The last one to die that day was Charlie himself. They uh, heard a gunshot off sort of in the distance. He shot himself over in the woods. He carried him a stick and turned the gun right towards him in his heart and shot himself right in the heart. The funeral drew thousands to this small family cemetery. I had a friend that uh, went to church with me up at Walnut Grove, and she passed away. She was almost 100 when she passed away about two years ago. And she was at the funeral, and she was 12 years old. That's Keith Hyatt. He grew up in the area. Oh, she said it was a huge crowd, just thousands of people it looked like. She said she remembered them opening the caskets after the funeral was over, and she walked by and viewed the bodies. It was a long line of people going by. Other people, like Kurt Suffin, had heard stories about the Lawson murders all his life. I also remember my grandpa Suffin telling about he and my, his brother-in-law, my, my great uncle Will, they went to the funeral and they ended up parking way about a mile away. He said there's cars on lining both sides of the road about a mile in every direction. My dad would have been uh, 17 at the time. Kenny Rohr is a local historian. His father was at the funeral too. Well, he was talking about how sad it was and what a huge crowd of people uh, came to it. And my dad told me about uh, Mrs. Lawson had the little baby in her arms in the casket. He said he'd never, never forget that. And everyone talked about the old hymn they sang at the graveside, Jesus, lover of my soul. There's a large crowd of people. Can you imagine all them people, that, that many people, and most of them singing what it sounded like? And you know, the Primitive Baptists don't use music in the church. They sung a cappella. All of them people out there singing a cappella, Jesus love of my soul. It must have been a pretty, pretty song, pretty sound, but sad too. The crowds are gone now, but the questions that drew them here remain. Charlie Lawson may have very well taken the answers with him to his grave. Nobody will never know. They might assume and they might have ideas, but they ain't got no proof. They don't, nobody knows. What we do know, a couple of weeks before Christmas, he took his family into town, bought them all new clothes, and had a family portrait made. An extravagant expense for a poor tobacco farming family. It's very interesting. I think he knew he wanted to preserve his family for history. He knew what he was doing, I think. And then he said, said something about it. said he wouldn't mind dying if he could take his, you know, his family with him, you know. He'd said that before? Yeah, he said that before. I do think the fact that it was done on Christmas Day, apparently on purpose, that gave it some mystique. Why, why would he do that? But there's that question again. Why? Why would Charlie Lawson do such a thing? 
Actually, there were a number of problems that Charlie Lawson was having. He was not sleeping. He was known to get up in the middle of the night, ramble around, check his guns. I was told a lot of different stories about it uh, over the years, you know, and I read, you know, articles about it and this kind of thing and the story that he had hit a fence with a, a mattock when he was hoeing or something. The mattock flew back and hit him in the head. He was uh, digging a ditch out from behind his pack house. Water, you know, was getting in his basement. And a cow pastor back there had a barbed wire fence. And, uh, and he, uh, the mattock, got hung in the wire and hit him in top of the head. They thought it might have caused a aneurysm or a tumor or something, that he, he went mad, you know, from, from that. He was complaining of headaches very bad. Um, now, that blow to the head, that may have happened. It was either a year or two before, or some people say maybe as many as 10 years before. So there was no good answer to that question. Why? That's why the original conclusion of their book they titled White Christmas, Bloody Christmas was no one would ever really know. But just before the book was set to go to print, Stella Lawson Bowles, Charlie's niece, had something more to say. Well, she read that first ending and she contacted my father and told him to come back up there. And she told him the scandal about the scandal. She said, it was time for everybody to know what had really happened. It was long enough, it was time. And my father called me and told me, and I said, I wonder if she really knows the gravity of what she's getting ready to do. I said, I'm not gonna do this until I go up there and talk to her. Smith says Stella shared a secret she'd been keeping most of her life. She said, no, you know what, it, it's time. It's time to do it. It's the truth, it's what I know, it's what I understood. Charlie's oldest daughter, Marie, was pregnant, and Charlie was the father. Well, I never did have no hard feelings toward after Charlie, because I always loved after Charlie. That's understood. And uh, it was just a close family, and I didn't know that things was going on in the family, though, like they were until since this happened. After the book came out, came expected threats toward the authors, and more people wanting to share what they knew. If we hadn't done what we did when we did it, these, almost every voice in the book that we talked to one-on-one -on -one is deceased now. Um, so what they had to say, it wouldn't be there. So it's a record for them too and their families. So much so, Smith published another book, The Meaning of Our Tears. No, it, it was a very, it's been an interesting journey. And uh, I think the story is really as much about the history of the area and the people who witnessed things, the people who knew things, the people who kept secrets almost all their life. And no, not everything in it is what someone really wanted to hear, unfortunately, but that's where the truth goes sometimes. It's a very difficult story. Um, it's sad. It, it's hurtful. It, it can tend to be embarrassing. It can be many things. But only thing I know 
is that I, I did the best I could with what I had to work with. And I tried to handle it um, as tenderly as I could, being what it is. It's a, it's a horrendous mass murder. For most people, their story ends at their grave. But for the Lawson family, there were chapters still to be written. What happened after their deaths would be talked about for generations. Marion Lawson decides to have the house be a, a tourist attraction. Charlie Lawson's brother charged people to go in the house. I think he charged them a quarter to go in the house, uh, to tour the house. And the story became a hit record. The Murder Loss family was, a, uh, was one of Columbia Records' best-selling hillbilly records in 1930. We'll talk about that in our next episode. If you want to see more of the story of the Lawson family murder, check out our website, myfox8.com. There you'll see interviews and images of the family and crime scene. If you like the podcast, give it a five-star rating. It'll help get the word out. Deadly Secrets, The Lawson Family Murder, co-written and narrated by yours truly, Chad Tucker. Produced, co-written, and edited by David Weatherly. Our executive producer is Kevin Daniels.